Imagine if someone had access to your electronic devices and could do whatever they wanted with the information on them. Sounds like something a hacker would be able to do, huh? Well, up until a few years ago, the United States government actually had the power to do that. Any police officer could just walk up to you, confiscate your phone or computer, then use the data collected by it to indict you, regardless of whether or not you actually committed a crime. I'm Nathan Chang, and you're listening to One Time Pod. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the landmark Supreme Court case Carpenter v. United States, which set the precedent for modern interpretations of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. To be able to interpret the Fourth Amendment, first we have to understand what the Fourth Amendment entails. It reads as follows. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, and the persons or things to be seized. Simply put, the government cannot search your body, property, or belongings unless it has obtained a court-issued search warrant. In December of 2010, events began to transpire that would test the limits of this search and seizure amendment. A series of armed robberies took place in Michigan and Ohio over the course of a year, where multiple Radio Shacks and T-Mobile stores were raided and numerous smartphones were stolen. Eventually, though, this small reign of terror ended, and four men were arrested by the police. One of these four men confessed to the FBI and handed them his phone number, along with the phone numbers of his co-conspirators. The FBI took these numbers to court, and a magistrate judge authorized the Bureau to obtain the transactional records of the phone numbers under the Stored Communications Act, a law that requires third-party internet service providers, or ISPs, to turn over their communications records if law enforcement thinks that there is reasonable suspicion. These records include the date, time, and locations of calls obtained where and when the phone connected to any nearby cell phone towers. Using over a hundred days worth of communications records obtained from MetroPCS and Sprint at around 13,000 location points, the FBI was able to find that Timothy Carpenter had been within two miles of four of the robberies. With Carpenter's phone data, the FBI was also able to dig into his personal life. According to the American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, Carpenter often made or received calls on Sunday mornings from around his local church, allowing the Bureau to infer that he was an active worshipper. Being able to know the exact time and nearly the exact location of when phone calls are made essentially allows ISPs and law enforcement to accurately track anybody's whereabouts. Even so, A magistrate judge cannot use this information to prove probable cause of a crime, thus preventing a search warrant from being obtained. However, the Stored Communications Act only requires reasonable suspicion, and therefore bypasses the warrant process and, by extension, the Fourth Amendment. With the ISP data, Carpenter was sentenced to a whopping 116 years in prison. Carpenter was obviously outraged. How could he be sent to jail for over a lifetime for something that he had no part in? His first appeal to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals was denied on the grounds of a previous Supreme Court case from 1979, Smith v. Maryland. 
Smith v. Maryland was a landmark case in its own right. In 1976, a robbery took place at a home in Baltimore, Maryland. The homeowner, Patricia McDonough, also began receiving threatening calls from whom she presumed was the robber. In one of the calls, the robber demanded that she stand on her porch and watch as he drove his car past her. The police were able to obtain the license plate number of the car and link it to a certain Michael Lee Smith. Using a pen register, a device that records and stores numbers dialed from a particular telephone, law enforcement successfully tracked calls from Smith's residence to McDonough's residence. They used the pen register as evidence to obtain a warrant to search Smith's house and found a phone book with a dog ear on the page McDonough's phone number was on, resulting in Smith's arrest. Smith took the case to court on the claim that the pen register that led the police to his house was used without a warrant and therefore could not be used to indict him. The case ended up at the Supreme Court, where the majority opinion was that when a number was recorded via pen register, there was no expectation of privacy, as the telephone user must pass phone numbers through the telephone company, thus making it the company's information. As Associate Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens puts it, and if there's no expectation of privacy, there's no, well, at least there's no, no, at least there's no Fourth Amendment question. Yes, sir. That, that is correct. Pen registers do not fall within the objects covered by the Fourth Amendment, so a warrant is not required to use one. Consequently, the charges against Smith were not dropped. Now, obviously, the times have changed. It's possible to do so much more than just using a pen register to record a phone number. ISPs can use your phone to track nearly your every move without even having to attach anything to a cable. And as time goes on, it won't just stop there. Point is, technology is advancing and society is advancing with it. As a result, rules and regulations also have to be constantly adapted. The Founding Fathers intended for the Constitution to be a living document, one that evolves with the times. The Fourth Amendment is a perfect example of this. What constitutes your persons, houses, papers, and effects has changed tremendously with the prevalence of digitization. This is exactly what was demonstrated by Carpenter v. United States. In 2016, Carpenter petitioned for the Supreme Court to review his case, and a year later, his request was approved. Once again, the main argument here was expectation of privacy. Whether or not data picked up by ISPs was any different from a simple witness account. By no means was this a simple case. The court spent an unusually long amount of time in their decision, releasing it on a Friday instead of the usual Monday or Tuesday. After the long wait, on the 22nd of June, 2018, Chief Justice John Roberts presented the majority opinion. There's an enormous difference between such things and a comprehensive record of your movements over time casually collected by phone companies. We think that your privacy interest in such a record compiled from, compiled from the use of your phone is not defeated simply because the record is held by your phone company. An individual retains a reasonable expectation of privacy in the CSLI corresponding to his cell phone number, and law enforcement must generally get a warrant to access that information. His reasoning behind this was that using the aforementioned CSLI, or cell site location information, is much more intrusive than any technology before it. Therefore, 
The expectation of privacy associated with CSLI could not be compared to previous expectations of privacy. The dissent, led by Associate Justice Anthony Kennedy, claimed that CSLI was the same as any other business record, which the government could legally obtain without a warrant. Other third parties also had their say in the matter. Fourth Amendment scholar Orrin Kerr argued that cell phone location data was the exact same as being seen by a witness on the streets. You couldn't expect privacy from either. In one of his tweets, he wrote, This is a location tracking opinion case, which just happens to involve cell site records. The facts here and the existing technology are less important. Okay, so the government can't use the location data obtained from people's phones to accuse them of crimes. Great. This seems like a massive win for the pro-privacy faction. And it is to some extent. But we need to look further. What specifically does Carpenter v. United States actually restrict? Not much. It strictly deals with cell phone location and GPS data. There are many other prevalent forms of surveillance like security cameras and the network known as the Internet of Things, which encompasses government-issued devices attached to electric utilities and houses that store and exchange internet data. These do not fall under the jurisdiction of Carpenter v. United States, so warrants are not needed to search data obtained through these means. In fact, Chief Justice Roberts explicitly stated this. We do not call into question conventional surveillance techniques, nor do we address other business records that might incidentally reveal location information. Despite all of this, a new case that tackles these conventional surveillance techniques is sure to come up soon. Technology will continue to advance, and law will continue to advance with it. All that's left to do is to wait and see where it goes.